Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. And you also know that in the course of this investigation, we talked with a C.E. Sullivan. Yes. And do you have any idea of his whereabouts at this time? Last time I talked to him, he mentioned something about going to California. If Stacy was somehow involved with Barb's disappearance, if anybody's going to know anything about that, it would likely be Red. Would it help, Benny, if I said the name Red Sullivan? Is that? That's the name I heard was Sullivan, yes. Right, yes. That's the boy that left voluntarily? That's right, yes. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight, a production of Forum Communications. My name is James Walner, and this is episode 18 of season 5 A Better Search for Barbara Cotton. It's been a while since I put out an episode. I was in Europe for the month of September, first a couple weeks of vacation, visiting my daughters, and then I was working on another story, an international story that I'm excited about. But this is yet another episode about missing Barbara Cotton. If you're not familiar with this story, some of this episode might not completely make sense to you, but I think you'll get enough of the context to follow along well enough. After that, you can go back and listen to season five from the beginning, perhaps. We have some new information about person of interest Stacy Werder, and we need your help in potentially locating a friend of Stacy's, someone who might know more about what happened to Barbara. This person is not a suspect, just someone who might remember something about what Stacy was going through, what he might have said on the night or day or days before Stacy died. But before we get started, it's time for the segment Keeping the Spotlight on Barb. Check out the Find Barb Cotton movement on Facebook or at findbarbcotton.com. In fact, in this episode, we'll be speaking with Lisa Joe Sheely again, who is spearheading the Find Barb Cotton movement, dedicated to finding answers about whatever happened to Barb. One amazing thing this group has done is put up a billboard in Williston, North Dakota, with a picture of Barbara on it, and so on. But as you can imagine, this is not inexpensive. This Keeping the Spotlight on Barb segment gives people like you an opportunity to support this group's efforts to keep the billboard up in Williston. For a minimum contribution of $100, not to me, but to the Find Barb Cotton movement, you or your business or organization can sponsor this segment. You can even have your own voice on the podcast and tell the world why you are helping to keep the spotlight on Barbara's case. This episode's Keeping the Spotlight on Barb segment is sponsored by a private person, and she is asked to remain anonymous. This individual parted with $100 of her own hard-earned money to help keep the billboard up. The following is what this anonymous person wanted to say in the segment, and I quote, Asking questions is as American as apple pie. Let's find Barb Cotton. Thank you so much, Miss Anonymous, for helping to keep the spotlight on Barb. If you or your business would like to sponsor this segment, reach out to Lisa Jo Sheely of the Find Barb Cotton Movement. Her email address is 
findabarbcotton at gmail.com. Here are a few things to note about this episode. First of all, this episode was put together very quickly. There are probably a couple of audio issues. I apologize for that, but we need to get this episode out right away. Also, because this investigation is ongoing and the information is coming in in real time, make sure to listen to the very end of this episode for any potential last-minute updates that I might need to add just before publishing. In this episode, I'll be playing some audio for you that I created this week with friends and voice actors. It's a re-dramatization or a type of simulation of an inquest. The source of this material is a court transcript that I have attained. You'll hear my voice acting as a Mr. Willis McKeon, who was a county attorney in Phillips County, Montana in 1981. The other voices you'll hear are friends of mine or voice actors playing the parts of various witnesses at this inquest. This court transcript is the coroner's inquest of Stacy Warder, whom we know today as a person of interest in the Barbara Cotton case as he was reportedly with Barbara on the night she disappeared, April 11, 1981. Stacy Werder hung himself in jail in Malta, Montana, three months after Barbara disappeared. The coroner's inquest took place four months after his death, seven months after Barbara's disappearance. The purpose of the inquest in November of 81 had nothing to do with Barbara Cotton. It was to determine if Werder's death was actually a suicide. But really, the exciting thing for us now is that this document gave us some details about Stacy's arrest that night, including the last name and initials of a person we've been trying to locate, a person who might be able to help us. And maybe one of you out there can help us to locate this individual. Yesterday, I spoke about all of this with Lisa Jo Sheely of the Find Barb Cotton Movement. Well, let's just jump into it right now. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. Hey, Lisa Joe, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm excited to get this episode out ASAP now that we have this new information. And just to refresh everyone's memory, you know, I've been talking about going to Montana for a long time. Anyone's been listening to the podcast, uh, Better Search for Barbara. You've been hearing me say I'm going to try to get to Montana to kind of follow in Stacey Werder's footsteps and try to learn what I could learn about where he was and his death. You know, he hung himself in jail three months after Barbara went missing. And just to refresh everyone's memory, Stacy Werder was reportedly seen with Barbara on the night she disappeared. You and I were talking about this the other day. At this point, we don't even know what we know for sure, do we? I mean, we know that Louise said that she saw them together, um, and we know that she told the police that, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I'm going to play a little audio snippet here back from episode five, just to sort of refresh everyone's memory. Uh, you know, I interviewed Stacy Warder's sisters in California, and they had never been spoken to before by anyone 
in law enforcement about this. But this is what his uh, sister said about her brother and then a phone call he made to her. Uh, the, well, I'm going to play it right now. And I say if he was responsible for Barbara's death, but this is what his sister, Laura, said. And, and I've, and I've got to tell you, I've always believed that he, that he hurt her. And then during one of them, like not premeditated because he wouldn't have done something like that, but just like one of them fuges he went in and then just, he finally came to and was like, what the hell have I done? And then killed himself for it. I really believe that. I completely believe that. And like I said, so does my sister. We've talked about this over the years. And Laura's opinion about this is not only based on her experiences with her brother, Stacy, but also due to a phone conversation she had with him right before he died. She was the last person to speak with him. In fact, I suspect that this phone call might have been from jail the day he was arrested in the town of Malta, Montana, on July 15th, 1981. The following is what Stacy Werder told his sister on his last phone call home. Again, no law enforcement agency has ever spoken with Laura about this. She's never been asked. Um, it was, it may have been the day before he killed himself, or maybe even the same day, but he called. And it was a collect call, so I accepted it. And he, he says to me, he says, um, I'm coming home. And I went, oh, well, okay, you're coming home. Um, I got a dog for Christmas, and, and she's, if, you, if you come at night, she's going to bite you. And he says to me, he's like, no, sis, it, it won't matter. And I'm like, yeah, it will, because she will bite you. And he's like, the way I'm coming home, it won't matter. And then he says to me, he's like, I need you to tell mom I love her. And I I want you to tell her that I'm sorry for what I did. I'm damn sorry for what I did. And then he hung up on me. So that was back from episode five. And so, of course, we've been wondering all these months, you know, what happened there in Montana? I mean, people have reached out to me, you know, I've heard, you know, as always happens in this situation, you know, maybe he was killed to keep him quiet, killed by someone else who who did have something to do with Barbara. Um, you know, we just wondered what the heck happened there. So what I did was I looked into if there were any if there was any documentation about his death and I was told pretty quickly that there was a coroner's inquest done. So I made it a records request to see that and was told that I would have to petition the county to see it, uh, which I'm not quite sure why. Uh, it seems like it would be public record, but I did that way back in May or something. And just this last week, the judge finally signed off on it. There was a lot of paperwork involved. And then I immediately shared it with Lisa Joe. And so what we're going to do here tonight is go through this coroner's inquest, uh, which is basically a, a, a trial, well, it's not a trial, but an inquest, like a court transcript. There are 10 witnesses, police officers and dispatchers, and there's a coroner. 
and other people uh, who spoke on November 13th, 1981. So that's four months after Stacy died, seven months after uh, Barbara disappeared. So Lisa, Joe, and I are going to kind of walk you through what we've learned from this. Where do you think we should start? I mean, I guess at the... Well, the good news is, for me, I thought, they did an autopsy, and there was an inquest. It would have been a different story if there had been no autopsy, no inquest. We'd be having a completely different conversation. But what's your takeaway from, I guess, the autopsy and that part? Um, You know, looking through it, I don't see anything that suggests it was anything other than a suicide. Right. Um, Apparently... He was alone in that cell block and, yeah, you know, there was always somebody around, it seems like, that yeah. would have noticed somebody go in there and try to cause harm to him if that would have been the case. But Yeah, we'll hear some of that testimony here in a minute. Uh, as far as the autopsy itself, he had a little bit of alcohol. Yep. Uh, I think it was like 0.12, mm-hmm. um, which... A lot of states, I think the legal limit to drive was 0.1. Now I think it's lower, but you used to be able to legally operate a car at that. So a little bit of alcohol. I don't think there was any other drugs or anything mentioned, was there? Nothing at all in his system. They did test for things, Yeah, but they didn't find anything. He had this ligature around his neck, and he used his jail overalls. He tied the pant leg in sort of like a circle. The way I understood it is he slipped it the other end up above a vent pipe that was just outside of the bars, like through the bars or something like that. That's what I gathered, too, is Mm -hmm. how he did it. Aside from letting everyone know what we've learned, there's two things, you know, like how how did this arrest go down and everything. But we've learned a new name, which is really the exciting thing, because he was apparently with another individual. Well, I mean, it's not a new individual. We've been looking for him for a while. I've mentioned before, definitely on Facebook, and I believe in an episode that we're looking for someone named Red. I got that from Stacy Werder's sisters. So they recollect after Stacy died, three men came to California with their brother's belongings, and they stayed with their mother and at their house for a certain amount of time. One of these individuals. All they remember is that his name was Red. They don't remember a last name, and Red is, we've always thought, is probably a nickname. The two other men, we have no idea. But one interesting detail was the Werder family had another friend living with them at the time, a girl. And this Red, from what we've understood from her, ends up going to prison for like 30 years or more for armed robbery. And this girl wrote him letters in jail, and Stacy Werder's mother encouraged her to write letters to him. So if this is making any sense, Stacy Werder hangs himself in jail in Malta, Montana. Later, this person, Red, shows up with some of his belongings with two other guys. He ends up in jail, and for some reason, Stacy's mother wants people to keep in touch with him. And we've never known what his last name is or first name, uh, real first name is until now, because he is mentioned in this documentation, a guy named Red was with Stacy the night he got arrested. And the names we have so far, which you'll hear in these recordings, is C.E. Sullivan, 
Red Sullivan or C.E. Sullivan, and we don't know what the C and E stand for. Somewhere in this world there is, or there was, we don't know, someone with Stacy Werder on the night he got arrested, hanging out, you know, with Stacy, who might have some information about what happened to Barbara Cotton, or at least what Stacy Werder was saying at the time. So we want to find it. But let's start by, uh, let me play... So Stacy Werder got arrested at a movie theater in Malta, Montana, and this is uh, the owner of the theater. Let me try to find that here. Can you state your name, please? Richard C. Pancake. And you reside in Malta, Phillips County, Montana. Right, that's correct. And you are the owner and operator of the Villa Theater here in Malta? That's correct. On July 15, 1981, do you recall an incident in your theater that prompted you to call the authorities for some assistance? Yes. Well, evidently the boy in question, I'm sure it must be the same one, and another boy were causing disturbances in the theater, and I asked them to leave and was told that they refused to, or the one boy refused to leave. So at that time, I went and I called the dispatcher, and a policeman showed up and ushered him out, and that was about the nature of it, really. And as a result of your phone call to the dispatcher, one of the members of the Malta police answered your call? That's right. Do you know who that was? Yes, Virgil Rue. Virgil Rue? That's right. Now, the one that left, can you describe the one that voluntarily left for you? Yes, I even heard his name. Some of the people knew him. He's a boy that's been around here before. He was a fairly tall, slender, blonde boy. Would it help any if I said the name Red Sullivan? Is that... That's the name I heard, was Sullivan, yes. I didn't know the boy personally at all. I didn't know either one of them. Right, yes. That's the boy that left voluntarily? That's right, yes. So the other boy is the one that left with the officer. Right. And you didn't know either one of these people by name? No. I was told later who the one boy was because quite a few of the local people did know him. I didn't. Approximately what time of the day or night did that happen? Just approximately. I'm guessing 9 o'clock. Uh, 9 p.m.? 9 approximately there. I'm really... Oh, it was right after intermission, so it would have been sometime later then. It probably would have been 9.30. It was right shortly after intermission when I got the complaint that led to me going to have to talk to him. And did you ever see this party again after he left the theater? No. So that gives us kind of an idea. He was causing a disturbance. I'll play the next one, too. This is the police officer who arrested him. Would you state your name, please? Virgil Rue. You reside in Malta, Montana? Yes. What is your official capacity here in the city of Malta? Sergeant, Malta Police Force. How long have you been on the Malta Police Force? Almost three years. Were you then on duty with the police force on the evening of July 15th, 1981? Yes. And you heard the previous witness, Dick Pancake, testify that he had occasion to call for assistance at the theater. Did you answer that call? Yes. What did you find there, Mr. Rue? Well, this person in question, Stacy Werder, was sitting in the theater and Dick pointed him out to me. And I walked up to him and asked him if he'd leave and he told me that he didn't have to. I asked him again, and I talked to him and told him that his raising cane and causing problems, that he'd have to leave. And he started cussing out loud. And finally, he decided he'd go out, and he took off his cap and ripped it in two, threw it into the crowd, and hollered a bunch of other cuss words. 
and I told him he was under arrest for disorderly conduct. What did you do after that? I took him out to the squad car sitting out in front of the theater and done a quick frisk and took him to the station. And the station is the county jail right here behind the courthouse? Yes. And then explain your booking procedure and placing him in jail. Well, when I got him into the booking room, I had him empty his pockets and got his name and where he was. At first, he wouldn't give me where he was born. And then he gave me a place. I don't recall where it was now, someplace in California. Mr. Root, I now hand you a small card about the size of a postcard that has printed material on both sides and a handwritten material on both sides. Along with that, there is a photocopy of this very same card that is now identified as State Exhibit Number 4. Would you tell the jury what that card is? This is the prisoner's jail record. We fill out the information on it, his name, his social security number, the date of the arrest, the time, and the address. And it's got the date of birth, and the place of birth, and the age, race, eyes, hair color, and so on is on this card. And on the back, it gives you the property of the individual. Is that your writing on this card? Yes. You completed that card? Yes. Will you compare the original card with the photocopy? Is that photocopy a true and correct copy of the original card? Yes. Uh, yes, it is. What hour was Mr. Werder arrested? I arrested him at 9.45 p.m. I booked him in at 9.54. It's just an approximate time. Now, will you continue with your booking procedure and the placing of Mr. Werder in jail? I asked him to, or told him, that he had to get into the jail coveralls. Um, he took off his clothes and got into the jail coveralls. He had no clothes under the jail coveralls, and I put him into the jail. He asked if he could have a book to read. And I went out, and I got a Western book, and he said, Oh, this is one that looks like the series I've been reading. And he seemed real happy, and I left there and locked the cell, and left the cell room. Now, the portion of the jail that Mr. Werder was placed in, was there any other prisoners in that portion of the jail that night? Not that portion, no. What were your shift hours on that particular day? I was working the 3 to 11 shift. 3 p.m. to 11 p.m.? Yes. Then Mr. Werder was placed in the section of the jail with no other prisoners? That's right. Were there other prisoners in the jail that night? Right. And they were then in a section separate and apart from the section Mr. Werder was in? That's right. You say that Mr. Werder was wearing no clothing other than just the jail-issued coveralls. That's right. No socks? No socks and no underclothes at all. And he had no other clothing with him in the jail? No. Did he have any smoking material? Do you know? No, not in the jail with him. Did you have occasion to enter the jail cell anymore during your shift that night? I looked into cell room at approximately 11.15. 11.15 or 11.20, somewhere in there when I looked into the cell room. Did you see him when you looked? Mm, I couldn't see him. If he's into the little individual cells in there, you can't see him. You know the area of the cell block where he was found? Yes. Could you see that section from the cell block? You can see that section. Was there any evidence of a hanging at that time? No. Did Mr. Werder give you any problem at all placing him in jail that night after you got him here to the jail? He gave me no problem once I got him up here. Did he give any indication that he was depressed? No, he didn't. Had you ever seen this man before? No, I hadn't. That is all, Mr. Rue. I'll call Cindy Cummings. So, that gives us quite a picture of the arrest. Any thoughts? Um... You know, 
I, I mean, my first question is, what was the disruption about? But what were they doing in a theater that was causing a disruption? I, I get the feeling that he wanted to get arrested. Here's the thing. You know, they, they did an inventory of his belongings. It says on his jail card that he had 15 cents to his name. Well, on him, 15 yeah. cents. And it says he's a vagrant. I'm just wondering. I get the feeling like he wanted a bed and a meal. Just sort of the way he acted. Like he was absolutely going to re- get arrested. I don't have to leave. He, right. he, I don't know. And then look at the demeanor change between the theater and after he was arrested. Can I have a book, please? And just completely. Seemed happy, he says. Like, oh, yeah, now I got a book, a bed, and he'll, he knows he'll get a meal in the morning. It's just a theory. I mean, you know, one thing that really stuck out to me. So he removed his cap and ripped it in two. Was it a paper hat? I don't know. Like, how, how do you rip a cap like that into two pieces? Like, I'm like, wow, he was upset. And then the next thing here is a dispatcher. She's a witness in this. Let's see, where do I have that? Would you state your name, please? Cynthia L. Cummings. You reside at Malta, Montana? I do. In the month of July 1981, what was your employment at that time? I was Malta dispatcher. Malta police dispatcher. And your dispatch headquarters is here in the county jail building right behind the courthouse? Yes, it is. Were you the dispatcher on duty the evening that Mr. Rowe brought the prisoner, Stacy DeMar Werder, to the station? Yes, I was. Did you see Officer Rowe bring the prisoner in? Yes, I did. Were you present at any of the booking procedures? No, they closed the booking room door from the dispatcher. And what shift were you working that night? 3 to 11. That's 3 p.m. to 11 p.m.? Yes. After Mr. Werder was brought to the dispatch area by Officer Rue, did you ever see him again? Yes, I saw him once on the camera. He was pacing up towards the front. Well, they have a big door that they lock between the cell block. And I saw him walk up there, and he grabbed the bars, stood there for a few minutes, and then he walked back down again. How long have you been a dispatcher prior to this time? A year and six or seven months, I think. I'm not sure. There's some limited television surveillance of the jail? Oh, definitely. The section that Mr. Werder was in, do you know whether or not there was any other prisoner in that section that night? There couldn't have been in that section because he was in the big cell block and our other two prisoners, as far as I remember, were in the juvenile. Do you remember who the other two prisoners were in the other cell block? I think they were Quincy and Corbel. Are you able to monitor, uh, through their television cameras, are you able to monitor that section of the cell block where Werder was being housed? Like Officer Rue pointed out, we cannot monitor the individual cells. The only part that we can see, and that's still not very well, is the hallway that you go into the individual cells. The hallway is outside the cell block? Well, the inside too, but before you go into the individual cells. Were you able to monitor that far back in the cell block? Were you able to monitor that section where Mr. Werder was found hung? I have no idea where he was found hung. Then during your shift from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., did anything ever happen in that cell block that would have caused you any concern? No, I heard him talking and I assumed that it was to the other prisoners, but then again, I don't really remember that much. Did you ever call for any assistance? No. Did there appear to be any loud noises of any concern or anything that might cause concern 
that would have you call an officer to go look in the cell block? No. When did you first learn that there was a dead prisoner in the cell block? The next day when I came to work. I don't know if there was a shift change or not. Who was the next dispatcher on duty after you? I think it was Doreen Dale. If you were having a problem, if you noticed any problem in the cell block, would it be customary for you to pass that information on to the next person coming on shift? Oh, definitely. Well, we always tell if we have a new prisoner in or not, you know. And of course, if anything happened, you'd enter it in the log that the operator keeps at the dispatch station? Yes. Did you have any reason to pass on any particular information about this prisoner to your relief that night? No. I just advised her on the call I got and what took place and the particulars of the call and stuff, and that was it. To your knowledge, did anyone, any officer or anyone at all, enter the cell block from the time Worder was placed in jail until you left shift at 11 p.m.? Not that I know of. Nobody entered it. No more questions. I call Doreen Dale. Any thoughts on that? I mean, they're establishing that you know, this is an inquest to make to make sure to establish whether how he died, if it could have possibly been something other than suicide. And they're just establishing that, according to this dispatcher who sat there, um, she didn't see anyone going in there. Do you have any thoughts on this part? Um, nope, not really. Well, actually, one point, um, you know, they they bring up a juvenile cell block. However, I don't believe, I don't believe that it actually housed juveniles at that time. Um, I do believe the people that were in there were adults. Okay. Yeah. You kind of looked into that, didn't you? Yep. Let's see what Doreen Dale had to say. She, she was the next dispatcher that night. She was there all from 11 to PM to 7 AM, I believe. Would you state your name, please? Doreen Dale. And you reside in Malta, Montana? Yes, I do. And what is your job? Dispatcher. And how long have you been in that position? Just about six years. Were you on duty at any time when the prisoner Stacy DeMar Werder was in jail? I went to work at 11 and got off at 7. Then you relieved Cindy Cummings on the night of July 15th, and then you worked until 7 a.m. on July 16th. Yes, I did. Did you know that there was a prisoner by the name of Stacy DeMar Werder in the jail? I didn't know his name, but I did know there was another prisoner brought in. Did you know what section of the jail he was in? Yes. How did you learn that? From Cindy. During your shift then, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., do you know if anyone entered the jail during those shift hours of yours? No. Are you saying that no one entered the jail at that time? Not to my knowledge, no. Did you ever see the prisoner, Stacy Warder, on the TV monitors during that shift? No, I didn't. Did you ever hear any noises or anything of any nature whatsoever to cause you any particular concern about this prisoner? No. Do you know whether or not there were any other prisoners in the cell block that he was in? No, there were not. No further questions. The next witness is someone named Louis Quincy, and I didn't do a reenactment of this on audio. You want to just, he was one of the guys in the other cell. Yes. Um, and he actually, he was in there for a few months, if I'm not mistaken, before that night. What did he say in the, when he testified here in this inquest? Uh, is he, is he the one that talked to him? Yeah. Yeah. It was through the, um, 
the hole in the is it where they passed food into them yeah okay um and he just he was being nosy wanted to know what stacy was in for i don't know it doesn't really they didn't ask him what stacy said or anything they asked quincy if he seemed depressed Mm -hmm. and he said no well they also asked him if they heard heard any noise over in the other and he said no and he asked them they asked him if previously if there was more you know if you can hear anything and he says well if there's more than one person over there you can hear them talking and flushing the toilet and stuff but he said he heard nothing that night he assumed that stacy went to sleep right and then the next witness was brian weber he's the chief of police he's the one who found him he knew upon seeing him that he was deceased it was very apparent that he had been deceased for a while and there was no use trying to resuscitate him or anything because he was bringing breakfast in um and you know stacy didn't come to where whatever corner of that cell block or whatever and so he hollered again and you know then he went around and and he saw stacy and then they move on to the witness of gene pinot which i do have recorded here and that goes into more detail state your name please Gene Pinot. You reside in Malta, Montana? Yes. And are you a deputy sheriff in Phillips County, Montana? Yes. Yes, I am. How long have you been deputy sheriff, Gene? A little over three years. You heard Chief of Police Weber testify that on the morning of July 16, 1981, he had occasion to come to the sheriff's office and report an incident in the county jail. Was it you that he reported that incident to? Yes. Yes, it was. What did he report to you? A prisoner had hung himself. All right, after this incident was reported to you by Chief Weber, what did you do, Mr. Pinot? I went into the cell block and checked him to see how long he'd been dead. What time did you come to the shift that morning? Eight o'clock. And do you recall what time you got notice of the hanging? It was shortly after 8.30. Was there any other prisoners in this cell block? No, there wasn't. Who accompanied you to the cell block? Brian Weber did. And then did you notify my office? Yes. Right after I went in and checked him, I come back out and called you. And then after you called me, what did I do? You come right down there. So was I present then during the rest of the investigation? Yes, you were. Were there any other prisoners in the juvenile portion of the jail that morning? Two of them, Louis Quincy and Lynn Corbell. Do you have any idea of the whereabouts of Mr. Corbell at this time? No, not offhand. Do you know that he was employed out at the mines? Yes. And do you also know that in the course of this investigation, we talked with the C.E. Sullivan? Yes. And do you have any idea of his whereabouts at this time? Last time I talked to him, he mentioned something about going to California. Now, Gene, would you just briefly describe then what you found in the jail and what you did in the course of your investigation right there in the jail? Went up there and seen him hanging by the coverall legs up over a vent pipe tied there. I went in there and looked at him. You could see he'd been dead for several hours. You know, his body was cold and you could see the discoloration on the lower part of his body. I went back out and I called the county attorney, Willis McCann, and he come back in and we took pictures from all different angles. We thought we should at the time and measured how far the body was from, you know, different parts of the jail. Took the pictures of the whole jail cell and then we, well, we notified the coroner shortly after Willis got there. Had you ever seen this man alive? No, I didn't. 
Do you know anything about where he came from? Yes, he came from California. We sent teletypes and contacted his relatives there. He had been a transient. He had been up through Glasgow and in there. I don't know where he was bound for from there. He had been, well, shortly before that, he had been in Glasgow jail. That's another thing. The fact that he had been in Glasgow jail makes me wonder if he was just like doing the jail circuit for food and lodging. Well, and he was in Glasgow jail. Um, it was he was arrested on June twelfth, and he wasn't. Re- he was there eleven days. He wasn't released until um, June twenty first. So less than a month, you know, somewhere in that period of time, he ends up in Malta. Um. Didn't his sister say something about an arrest being associated with um, an incident on a nearby reservation? I would imagine it had to have been that arrest, unless there's another one that we don't know about. But that is right next to Fort Peck. So is Scobie. Yeah, that could have happened if he's a transient. Who knows what kind of trouble he got himself into or caused, you know. There is one more witness. She... She's just from the funeral home. She witnessed the body, and she's just describing the body and confirming facts about the ligature mark on his neck and things like that. But uh, I don't think she explains it out really well. So again, I have zero thought that you know there was some kind of foul play in his death. Things I find interesting is the way he was behaving before he got arrested and versus after. And then, of course, it's a big thing is this other individual named Red. But before we start talking about Red, do you have any other thoughts on? As far as the demeanor change and not I'm not saying that your thought line is incorrect at all, right. but schizophrenia, schizophrenic. I, I, I've seen that in action where suddenly pushed it too far and, you know, straightened right up. Yeah, to remind everyone, uh, Stacy Werder's sister told us in episode five that Stacy was paranoid schizophrenic and that he was discharged for the Navy of, for that reason. So, yeah, absolutely. It could be something like that. He kind of flipped out there in the in the theater, got arrested and then just settled down. Yeah, could be. But the big news is, of course, again, these two things. Now, the one that left, can you describe the one that voluntarily left for you? Yes. I even heard his name. Some of the people knew him. He's a boy that's been around here before. He was a fairly tall, slender, blonde boy. Would it help, Benny, if I said the name Red Sullivan? Is that? That's the name I heard was Sullivan, yes. I didn't know the boy personally at all. I didn't know either one of them. Right, yes. That's the boy that left voluntarily? That's right, yes. And you also know that in the course of this investigation, we talked with the C.E. Sullivan. Yes. And do you have any idea of his whereabouts at this time? Last time I talked to him, he mentioned something about going to California. And he did go to California, according to Stacy's sisters, came and lived with them for a while. And brought his belongings, which he did not seem to get arrested with. Right. So maybe they were... Staying somewhere, motel or whatever they were doing, camp. Maybe they were, this is uh, June, July, June. July. So it's warm enough to be sleeping outside. Um, you know, they could be doing a lot of things and he probably had some belongings. And 
this red and a couple other guys apparently which could just be two guys red met on the way to california we have no idea if there were other people comes to california hangs out with the Werder family for a while from what we've been told ends up getting arrested for armed robbery we think for like three, 30 35 years sounds like a long term for armed robbery i don't know but He's the last person to be traveling around with Stacy Werder to have any kind of insight into what was going on in Stacy Werder's life. And we'd really like, I'd really like to find him. What do, what do you think? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if, you know, like Red could have been in Williston, you know, they could have, they could have traveled through there together. Um, Scobie is a bit out of the way, but if you, Williston, it's a straight shot on Highway 2 to Glasgow and then next to Malta. Mm-hmm. I mean, they literally could have been just passing through. Maybe they were together in Williston. Louise said she saw Barbara with Stacy and another friend. We still don't know for sure who that person is or if that's even a true story. But we don't know well, anything. But Yeah. We don't know anything about Red. But, well, what do we know about Red? We know... His last name is Sullivan. We know his initials are C and then E. So, you know, something like Charles Edward or Christopher Eugene. I don't know. Um, but he went by Red more often than not, it seems. I mean, they even refer to him by his nickname in the document. Right. So we know that he was taller, he was slender, and he was blonde. He And they also say... He'd been hanging around there a bit. That locals, some locals knew who he was. He had been there before, like in that area. So that wasn't his first visit there. Right. Also, something interesting is that the owner of the theater refers to him and Stacy as boys. Yes. So now, I mean, I guess I'm going to make the assumption that he was at least around Stacy's age of 21. I, I I would do the same thing. I don't think he was 40 years old. I think he was closer to 20 than he was closer to 40 for sure. Right. Yeah. I, a boy. He said boys. Slender boys. Yep. So blonde. And he yeah, yeah. referred to him as a boy the whole time. The one boy left. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyone around Malta, Montana, or anywhere who might know who a C.E. Sullivan, or who went by Red, possibly sounds like did time in prison, like a lot of time. We don't know what state, though. We don't know where he was arrested. We don't know at currently what state. But if anyone knows anything, <laughs> we'd love to know about it. Let's talk about this, though, also. Because we've been wondering, right? Do you think law enforcement has already talked to Red or uh, ruled him out? Or what are your thoughts? I'll tell you mine, but you tell me yours. I I don't know. I don't know. They're, you know, they stay pretty tight-lipped on all of that stuff. And they, I mean, I figure, so it's very likely that if Stacy was somehow involved with Barb's disappearance... If anybody's going to know anything about that, it would likely be Red. If he's still alive, 
maybe he would have at least suspected. He probably would have heard about Barb disappearing. Mm -hmm. Stacy, there's a lot of potential there if we were able to find him. Absolutely. And even if Stacy was not involved, but Stacy talked about the whole thing, it would still, it would be incredibly interesting information to have. Like, oh yeah, Stacy was so sad that she was missing and he was afraid. I don't know. You don't, just any information, right? So, right. So I'll tell you my theory on, and this is just a guess on whether or not law enforcement have talked to him. I'm guessing if they've talked to him, it was a long time ago and not recently. And and I only say that because nobody spoke with Stacy's sisters, not then and not now. So if someone was really honing in on Stacy like we are doing, you would talk to his sisters. But the fact that they've never been contacted makes me wonder, and I could be completely wrong, if they even have this inquest document. I mean, I want to think, oh, of course they absolutely have it, but I'm not sure, and I can't be sure. And I, I reached out to Wilson PD this week, and I did offer Wilson PD this week an opportunity to comment on some of the stuff about Stacy Warder, and the answer I got back from the head of investigations there, Stephen Gutnick, is this. Uh, he says, James, we appreciate the attention you have brought to this case in recent times. However, this is still an active investigation, and there are portions of it that we cannot share at this time. The Williston Police Department is respectfully declining to speak with you on this topic. So, I would have liked to ask them, you know, do you have this information about Red? Uh, do you have this inquest testimony transcript in your possession? That's just my thought. hope I'm wrong. I hope they have all this information. They've already found Red, talked to him, but I kind of doubt it, um, only because Stacey Werder's sisters were never spoken to at all. And you would think that that would kind of all go together in sort of the same kind of detail-oriented investigation. So it's just a guess of mine. Um, I mean, red would have been potentially easier for them to find if he was in jail. He would have been easier for them to contact. Mm -hmm. um, not like Stacy's sisters were hard to track down, but mm -hmm. if they did speak to red, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I like, you know, how likely were they to get inside details about mm -hmm. Stacy potentially being involved in Barb's disappearance. Like, that's not something he's going to call home about. Right. Maybe, though. I mean, it's still, yeah, it was worth checking out. But mm. I don't know. I'm always trying to think outside the box and think for, mm. you know, try to anticipate. Yep. Well, I mean, the thing is, we have, you know, this huge, we've had this huge community now of people trying to help with this. And, um, Again, it's been 40 years. It's not like there hasn't been time to work on this case. And there's opportunity if people such as yourself and others, a lot of people who want to, you know, help. So it would be beneficial to have some kind of dialogue with Wilson PD. So we could, like, let's say they've ruled out red, which I, I don't know. It sure would save us some time. Like we wouldn't even be having to talk about it right now if we knew that. They probably like us focusing on other things. You think so? I don't know. I really don't know. But I mean, <laughs> do you feel like we're on the same team? All of us? Sometimes I do. Yeah. I 
I don't know. I guess I, um, I don't know. It, it, it would have been nice to have some commentary just on this document, even, even off the record, even if yeah. they were to speak to you off the record, um, you know, and I don't know. I feel like they think you're going to try at every opportunity to throw them under the bus. And that, I, that, I don't think they realize that that is not it at all. And if anything, you'd probably take measures to try not to the best you can. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I feel like, feel, I don't feel like they don't want to solve it. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like they're actively trying not to solve it. I, I think it probably does come down to a matter of time and resources and things like that. Well, that's kind of my point. Now they have these potential enormous amount of resources at their fingertips, but. It much faster, much more efficient than you fighting with, you know, Malta to get these documents for months. Yeah. And it's the same thing that, you know, with Frank De La Pena, like, you know, that's a phone call. Mm -hmm. That's a phone call for them. You want to remind so, everyone what that's all about, what you're talking about? Um, just all the court do or the documents from uh, Frank De La Pena being arrested in um, Wyoming. Yeah. All that stuff that you had to kind of go through a similar process. It wasn't as long. They didn't give you as much trouble, but. Right obtaining those documents you had to go through a whole process whereas police can request that and just have it mm. sent to them no problem so one thing we haven't talked about well before we i want to talk about the billboard and stuff too but before we did anything else here be about red and stacy and yeah so we did learn a little bit more about stacy not anything horrifyingly significant but as far as his appearance um, we did learn that Stacy was approximately 5'8". On the autopsy documents, it lists his hair as long and brown. Mm. Now, I don't. it doesn't say a specific length. I don't think it was, I mean, I guess maybe, but I don't think it was like ponytail length or anything, but longer brown hair. Definitely not a buzz cut anyways. Um, it did say that he had a slight mustache and a slight beard. Which is quite a bit different than that Navy photo we have. Yeah. Wow. So, also, um, he did have a large surgical incision from the top of his belly button, and it ran about eight inches up towards his sternum. So, quite should have been quite noticeable if he, you know, had his shirt off or something. That's a good point. Yeah. A scar, probably. Yeah. So, one thing... We don't hear about in any of these police reports is this phone call home. That oh, right. Made. I forgot to talk about that. Right. So, yes. So Stacy's sister said she thought it was the day he died or the day before. So we kind of been uh, making an assumption or whatever that maybe he just called her from the jail cell. Right. When you think of a collect call home automatically. I mean, it, it was pretty natural that you assume it's from jail. I certainly did. Yeah. Maybe called earlier that day. I don't know. But there's no record of it in when he was arrested, at least. And one thing about that, you know, she says that he calls home and he says, tell mom I love her and tell her I'm sorry for what I did. 
And I've always thought of two things he could mean by that. I mean, there's um, lots of things it could mean, but it could mean he's sorry for killing Barbara Cotton. But it could also just mean, tell mom I'm sorry for what I did, meaning he knows he's going to kill himself and he he's sorry that he killed himself. Yeah. But he didn't want to tell his sister on the phone, sorry that I killed myself. Just tell her I'm sorry for what I did. Yep. So It, it could be anything, really. I mean... Yeah, so we know a lot. I mean, we know a lot. All we knew before was he was arrested for disorderly conduct. It's kind of nice to know a little more about the details. So, yeah, it's um, it was a pleasant surprise to see red in this document because yeah, I was not. I mean, obviously, we were hoping we were hoping he would be in there. We knew that he brought Stacy's belongings to California, but we didn't know if it was what he had with him when he went to jail. And this was just kind of some random friend who picked it up for him and brought it. Um, you know, it, and uh, we know that by November, he was no longer in Malta. They couldn't get a hold of him. That's a good point. I mean, and, and the family remembers red bringing his belongings. So I'm going to make an assumption here that he left soon after and was in California or on his way to California by November. Oh, yeah. Well, and prior to November, um, the deputy sheriff had noted that last time he spoke to him, he was headed to California. So, And then at some point, he gets arrested for armed robbery and goes away for a long time. So if anyone knows Red Sullivan or knew him or C.E. Sullivan in Williston or Scobie, Montana or Glasgow, Montana or Malta, Montana, or anywhere between Montana and California, Wairica, California, or in prison. If you knew a Red Solomon in prison, please reach out to, was it findbarbcotton at gmail.com is your email? Yep. My email is dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. And uh, do you have the Williston PD's number? I don't have it in front of me, but... I actually don't, but... If you if you Google them, it'll come right up. I just don't have it handy. Yeah. Um, but like I said, for all we know, they're not pursuing Red or... Well, yeah, we don't really know. I I did... Um, I did pass along information on this. I just wanted to make sure that they had it. So I did pass it along regardless, but... Right. Good. Good. So... What's going on with the Find Barb Cotton movement, your website, and the billboard, and so on? Um, we have the new billboard up, so we're in in the contract, and you know, just made the second month's payment, and it's it's bigger, it's a more simple design. Um, Where is it? It's in town. I actually, you know, now that you're asking me on the spot, I can't pinpoint exactly what it is. Like I know, I know what building it's by and everything but i just can't right now it's because you asked me you know exactly that. that's awesome though yep it goes uh so they come out in four week increments um and like i stated before we you know we still have funds saved up um but we had to enter a six-month contract and i think we are pretty close to having enough to cover that full contract but if we don't hit it, then I have to pay for it out of my pocket. So so if you want to help keep the billboard up, contact Lisa Joe at finebarbcotton at gmail.com. Uh, if you do that, you, we, we will mention your company or your name if you want. 
uh, you can promote your company for helping to keep the spotlight on Barb Cup. Or you could go on the podcast and deliver your message yourself. That's true. Yep. You can rec- we can record your voice yourself. You can be on the podcast and say, hey, I want to keep the spotlight on Barb Cotton. My name is XYZ, and I'm doing this because of this, or my company is doing this. Um, so, yeah, Lisa Joe can be contacted at findbarbcotton at gmail.com. We're hoping to get new information on Barb Cotton and find Red Sullivan and see if he knows anything about Barbara's disappearance. Absolutely. So if, I don't know, people listening, ask your friends, you know, ask if you know somebody that, you know, lived in any of these areas. Um, Red Sullivan, he's a taller guy. So, and another thing that's worth mentioning is right now he would be, a if he it was in fact 21, you know, the same age as Stacy. He would have been born around 1959. He'd be approximately 62 years old now, somewhere around there. Maybe, maybe a little older, 65. We don't know. Um, yeah. Red Sullivan, C.E. Sullivan, um, possibly a convict, possibly um, blonde. Uh, we don't know, but lived in Montana. That's, or we don't know that he was, we don't know where he's from, but, no. uh, you know, he had been in Malta, you know, at least a few times before that, mm-hmm. you know, based off of what the theater owner said. Here's a quick update about this. The day after Lisa Joe and I spoke, we learned some new information from Stacy Werder's family. They recalled that this guy read accompanied Stacy's mother to see Stacy's basic training graduation when Stacy was in the Navy. So this leads us to believe now that Red knew Stacy long before Stacy's time in Williston. Maybe Red is from Northern California himself. Maybe they were traveling together the whole time. They obviously knew each other for some time. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you again. Are we going to find Barb Cotton? What do you think? Oh, we're going to get a, give it a hell of a go. Yeah. Tell everyone one more time about Red. All right. So if you know anything about Red Sullivan or C.E. Sullivan, um, tall, slender, blonde, would have been in possibly Williston, possibly Glasgow, Scobie, 1981, definitely in Malta in 1981. And then after that, um, Wairika, California, long prison sentence, arrested for what they think they remember as being um, armed robbery. We don't know what state, but we're going to find out. And yeah, or if you think you know somebody who was in those areas at that time and may have known him, definitely ask around, spread the information. Let's see what we can come up with. Okay, once again, Lisa Joe, thank you so much for taking the time and thanks for everything you're doing with Fine Barb Cotton. You can find Fine Barb Cotton. You have a Facebook group, Facebook page, Twitter account. It's all using the hashtag Find Barb Cotton, findbarbcotton.com, a website. And Lisa Joe's email is findbarbcotton at gmail.com. Thanks for everything you guys are doing. And uh, just thanks again for taking the time. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for obtaining this document and everything you do and helping us spread awareness. 
That's all for this time. Again, this Red Sullivan, or C.E. Sullivan, Stacy's friend, is not a suspect in this case. He's just someone that might have information about Stacy Werder's last days of life. If you have any information, email dakotaspotlight at gmail.com or findbarbcotton at gmail.com or call the Williston Police Department. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications. This season is dedicated to my daughters and to all daughters everywhere. To support the Fine Barb Cotton Billboard Fund, head over to finebarbcotton.com or email Lisa Joe at finebarbcotton at gmail.com. A Better Search for Barbara is written, recorded, and edited by me, James Walner, and researched by myself and the growing community of people dedicated to getting answers about Barbara's disappearance. Many thanks to Isaac Turner of Kalamazoo, Michigan, for providing awesome music for this season. Check him out by searching Wowza in Kalamazoo on Bandcamp.com. And why not check out the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group or find me on Twitter. To contact me, email me at dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. It's been 40 years. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app.
Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.